You are listening to the Lakeview Podcast from Lakeview Baptist Church in Lacey Lakeview, Texas. Worship with us on Sundays at 1045 at 125 North Bermuda Avenue in Waco, Texas, or find us on the web at facebook.com slash lbc.laceylakeview. Growing up is really, really hard. Like, really hard. Uh, can, can people attest that? Can I get an amen? Growing up is hard. Is it easy? Has anybody had an easy time with that? Okay, good. Uh, my seventh grade Boy Scout camp uh, summer felt like one of those big jumps that you have in maturity, like one of those big turning points. Uh, to, before you advance to a certain point in scouting, Larry could remind me, you have to get your Wilderness Merit Badge. Is that, is that, uh, is that to be first rank or to be... Uh... But you might as well get the Merit Badge, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, how, that's how it works. And it's pretty early on. And so one of the requirements of the Wilderness Survival Merit Badge is you have to go out into the wilderness for a 24-hour period or overnight... Uh, with very few supplies and or maybe nothing at all, some are more strict than others, and uh, you have to survive out there by yourself. And so everyone uh, at Boy Scout camp uh, in my troop, for the most part, was taking Wilderness Survival Merit Badge. And so we were all taking the class throughout the week, and then Thursday night we were going to go out to like the back part of Camp Hood summer camp in Southwest Mississippi in the Boonies. And uh, we were going to spread out, and all we could bring was what could fit in a little Ziploc bag, and we were going to survive. And I was so stressed about it, right? I'm a person who, when I was like, this is horrible to admit, in like fifth or fourth grade, there was like several weeks where I like relapsed and started sleeping in the bed with my parents again. So you can, you can see what kind of psychoses I have sleeping outside on my own. I've pretty can attest I've gotten over those, thankfully. Um, but at the time, I was so worried about it, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be out there in the dark by myself, and I, but I'm going I'm to have to just man up and survive against the wilderness and the dark and whatever it is that comes up against me. I figured out I was going to bring a tarp or a, a poncho, a big poncho that I could wear if it rained, or I could make it into a shelter to sleep under. Well, what actually happened was uh, we got out there. And, of course, they send us boys off into the woods, and they're like, okay, we'll see you in the morning, and we'll check on you a couple times. Well, of course, we just hung out all night. Uh, I don't even think I slept maybe an hour. Uh, Now, for sure, I got ready. I psyched myself up. I made my little shelter in the woods away from everybody, and I got ready to go. And then, sure enough, my friends came, and then a lightning storm came, and they helped me find a picnic table that we could all could lay under. I don't know why they had us out there. It probably was not safe at all. And then, for some reason, I gave someone the little poncho shelter that I'd made, and then somebody else had a Dr. Thunder, and I had a $2 bill, and I bought the Dr. Thunder for, uh, with the $2 bill. So it actually turned out not to be this like great turning point of maturity in my life. Or maybe, maybe it did, because as it turns out, I think so often learning uh, growing up isn't about figuring out how to do everything on your own or how to survive just you versus the world, but growing up is actually about learning that we need to cooperate, that we need help. And uh, survival in the real world in the few short years we've been surviving in the real world, Brittany and I, 
It hasn't looked like some hardcore quest to prove our adulthood, but just making the best of whatever situation you find yourself in. Sometimes just hanging out with friends, right? And as I think about growing up in that night in this text that Tommy read for us, it seems like one of the things that make growing up so hard is that often what we might think or, or what we might even have been taught as real signs of maturity are actually the very things that show that you really aren't mature yet. We're sometimes made to believe or think that mature people are people who don't ask for help or that mature people are people who don't make mistakes anymore. Grown-ups, I always figured, were people with all the answers, supposedly. And it can feel childish to have to admit that you're wrong. Mature adults, I thought, were serious. They don't play games. Well, as y'all and Brittany have been helping, uh, y'all, you and, well, Brittany has been helping too, but as y'all have been helping Brittany and I grow up over these last four and a half years, y'all have graciously taught us that none of those things are true. You are people who are able to admit when you need help. You're able to not take yourself so seriously and to play games every now and then, and that is a sign of your maturity. But I think we all struggle with that, with those things that we assume are what it looks like to be mature that really aren't as we continue to grow up, and even more so as we are called to grow up into maturity in Christ. The Corinthian Christians did. They apparently thought that being wise in the ways of the world was what it meant to be a mature believer. Or that picking the best or most impressive Christian faction was how you showed how great of a Christian you were. They thought that to be great Christians meant they had to prove their own individual strengths or wisdom. Whether it was about comparing whose spiritual gift was the biggest or best or dividing themselves based on who was the richest or the highest class. Some of them even thought that being a big, bad, grown-up Christian meant that you could do whatever you want in the name of Christian liberty, eat food, sacrifice to idols, have sex with whoever you want, you name it. They figured they had grasped the gospel and Christ's forgiveness so wisely and so maturely, they finally figured out that nothing that they did mattered, and that meant that they were mature. What Paul tries to teach them in this passage we just heard is that maybe they aren't so grown up after all. Maybe the very things that they think makes them mature or great Christians are the things that are keeping them from living as the beloved children of God that they really are. You see, the secret of Christian maturity, regardless of worldly maturity, is that we don't ever become independent adults who move on from needing constant help and attention and correction. Christian maturity means learning more and more to embrace the fact that we are just God's beloved children. And like little children, we don't ever stand or walk on our own. We don't have any strength or smarts to make it ourselves. All we've got to claim is that we're loved. And if we want to grow as a church and as disciples, we will do so, do, we will do so by only realizing or growing to realize that everything that we are 
And everything that we do has to be a gift of God. Because when we don't claim that, we're still babes in Christ. We're still immature. We still haven't quite grasped what this thing is that we've been placed in and called to. To grow up, we first need somebody to tell us how ungrown up we are. Paul is willing to do the job for us, even though he has to know how painful it is to hear that we're still not grown up. Paul will later say in a couple of chapters that he is a father to the Corinthians in the gospel. But here in this passage, he almost sounds like a mother. Did you catch that? He says that when he first came and was rearing them in Christ, he fed them with spiritual milk. They weren't ready for solid food. And like any good father or mother, I hope yours were, Paul is willing to tell the truth even if it hurts us. So he tells us, tells them, they're still not ready for solid food. They're not ready for more wisdom. For anything else, they need more correction. And why is that? They're still immature. There's jealousy and quarreling among them. Now, we might be tempted to think that being proud of our opinions and knowing what is the right side of things and sticking on the right side of arguments is what it means to be wise and mature. Our culture tells us that. On our smartphones and our computers and TVs, we hear constant debate, never-ending argument, and of course we start to think that if we're going to be mature, worldly people, we've got to get in on all that. As if our Christian witness were simply a matter of making our opinions heard. Church history, actually, is the history of an almost 2,000-year-old argument about the right way to be Christian. And so we might even be tempted to think that our faith is simply a question of believing the right things or being the right people as opposed to all the wrong people and the wrong beliefs and all those other churches. But Paul asks us, when you say, I follow Paul or Apollos, are you not being merely human? Isn't that just a fleshly, man-made way to act? When we let some political question divide our God-given unity, or when we rank our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in the church as if some were more our brothers and sisters and some less so, are we not forgetting who we are in Christ? And to forget who we are in Christ means that we're what? Immature. Maybe for us it's not a question of unity. Maybe we're not particularly prideful people, or everyone except for me, at least. Maybe my immaturity looks like despair. It does most of the time. Often I feel like I haven't grown up into the hope and the calling that ought to be guiding my every moment here on earth. Maybe somebody else's immaturity looks like self-importance. They haven't grown up enough in Christ to stop taking themselves so seriously. Maybe our immaturity together is insecurity. We haven't grown up in Christ enough to stop worrying about whether what we're doing here will matter or whether it will last and just focus on the work and the present of our church, trusting God to be faithful. Until God is finished with us, and let's check our pulses real quick. Yep, 
God is not finished with us, there is going to be immaturity in us. Sure, some less so than others, but for all of us, we still need to grow up. We still need to hear from a spiritual father or mother, and especially from our fathers and mothers in Scripture, that we need correction, that we're not there yet. Nobody likes that. It's not fun to have somebody tell you that you're wrong and that you need to grow up. We're taught by the world, of course, that being right and perfect is the same thing as being grown up, aren't we? But maturity in Christ actually means learning to admit that we're never as mature as we think. Because, of course, in Christ, we're never going to be finished growing up into Him. At least on this side of heaven. Think about it. The best scientists know that they can never stop trying to gain new knowledge and revise what they thought before. The best athletes are never satisfied with what they already have done or can do, which is why Tom Brady annoyingly keeps winning Super Bowls. The best musicians never stop practicing, no matter how good they think they are. And being a mature Christian means remembering that we're always still little children in God's family. We're deeply loved as little children, but we're also like little children, always in need of correction and wisdom and forgiveness. We're amateurs in the church. I'm an amateur pastor. Some of y'all are amateur deacons. Some of y'all are amateur deacons' wives, amateur Sunday school teachers, amateur disciples. That's all of us forever. On our own, as crazy as this sounds, Without God in the picture, we would just be little boys and girls playing at church. So we don't have to take ourselves so seriously. But we do, and we can take God seriously, because our Father is here at work. And because God is at work on us and in us, we're always going to be maturing into what He's making us to be, into what He's calling us to do. So once we figured out that we're immature, and we're always figuring that out, hopefully, what does it look like for us to start growing up into Christ? If it doesn't mean taking ourselves too seriously or getting too big for our britches, what does it mean? Paul shows us. The Corinthian Christians in their fake maturity had been arguing over which apostle they should follow, Apollos or Paul. So Paul tells them how he thinks of himself as an apostle. He says, being an apostle, it's kind of like gardening. Gardening? I mean, for something as serious and as important as an apostle of Jesus Christ that was a one thing in time in the first century that set up our faith forever and ever, the best metaphor he could come up with was gardening? Gardening's not very impressive or exciting. Gardening's hard work, but it's not all that compelling. I mean, I wouldn't turn on the TV to watch gardening, although I guess some people would. Well, why not, Paul would ask us. Why not gardening? After all, Paul is mature enough in Christ not to care too much about how important his work might be or his importance. And the work of a farmer or a gardener is actually a perfect metaphor for his work and his importance and the work in the church. 
If you're a gardener or a farmer, there is work to do, hard work. And it matters. Someone has to go out and plant the seed of the gospel. And then somebody's got to come along and be faithful in watering it. And that was what Paul was called to do. He was called to go around his whole world, basically. Spent the majority of the best part of his life planting the seed of the word in various cities around the Mediterranean. And after that, Apollos came along and his work was important too. He had to water that seed to help grow up those Christians into maturity in Christ. There was work to be done and they were called to do it. Paul even said they would be rewarded for their work from God. But in the end, none of the work really belonged to Paul or Apollos. Just like it doesn't belong to the gardener or to the farmer to make sure that the rains come and that the crops grow and that the pests stay away. Now in modern times we've gotten some tricks and some trinkets to help those things happen, but farmers out in West Texas and Central Texas for that matter will attest. There's things that they're not responsible for that are left up to providence or chance, however they would look at it. Paul and Apollos and anybody at work in the church isn't responsible for the results of the work. Now, sure, if they had come along and it was their goal to start a religious club and to give some people some religious information and ideas and get everybody to cooperate in some exciting religious program, they could have done that. But neither Apollos nor Paul, nor me, nor you, nor anybody else ever before or since can make and grow a church. A real group of people who have been made new in Jesus Christ and called out of the world into the kingdom of God. That's God's work. Neither he who plants nor he who waters are anything, but only God who gives the growth. It takes a mature person to be able to say that. It's a sure sign that we're growing up in Christ when we can get to work doing what God calls us to do and know that we're not responsible for what God calls us to do. That we don't have to worry about the results. That we don't have to take an ounce and we can't take an ounce of credit for any bit of the work that we do. Mature Christians are active. They're involved in God's work, but they're not too busy. Mature Christians are concerned about what goes on in here and what goes on in their neighborhood, but they're not anxious or stressed. Mature Christians share the gospel, but they do so because they love the gospel, not because they're afraid of what might happen if they don't. Mature Christians want their lives and their church to reflect the kingdom of God, to show God's righteousness and mercy, but they trust that with or without them, God's kingdom is going to come. God's will is going to be done when and where God pleases, and it certainly will come and be done in God's faithfulness. There's a quote on the back of your bulletin. It's been there for like six weeks. If you haven't noticed it, take a chance to look at it. From Carl Bark. Can somebody read that for me? Because I don't have it in front of me. He's a man who is faithful in seeking, asking, and praying. He knows the faithfulness of God, and not his own faithfulness besides. I love that. That's what it means to have mature Christian childishness. What does a child do all day? They got work to do. They got to go to school. They got to play. 
That's the work of children, didn't some psychologists say, right? They're not just going to sit there. If they do, then something's wrong, right? They sometimes get busy. They play or they go to school. But ultimately, nothing that a child does in the house is really advancing the goal of his or her life or sustaining the house, right? That's up to the parents. It's up to the helpers, the teachers, the scoutmasters, the pastors, or whoever, Sunday school teachers, whoever else is in their life. Sure, that child's work matters. They got stuff to do, but ultimately, where, how they're going to get fed, how they're going to keep growing up, that's really not on them. That's how we live as Christians. We have work to do. We have prayers to pray, gospels to, gospel to share, sermons to preach, Scripture to read and to interpret, a witness to live. But ultimately, if it's just our working, that won't come to anything. It's got to be God working in us. And if anything good's going to come out of it, that's going to come from God. Another person who had that perspective, a guy named John Calvin, one of my favorites, and you may or may not know that John Calvin is famous for his doctrine of predestination. The, the kind of crude version of that, but it's pretty true, is that God created, before time began, both those people who were going to go to hell and those people who were going to go to heaven. Now, that's wacko. Totally wacko. I don't read that in Scripture. But this was his perspective, right? That basically nothing that we did mattered Basically, those who were going to believe, God was going to make them believe. Those who weren't, God had already made them not believe. Now, you would think for somebody who had the perspective that nothing that we did mattered and everything had to be done by God, he would have just, what, sat in a room, read his Bible, and waited for kingdom to come. That's not who John Calvin was. He actually ended up being one of the most active reformers and teachers and preachers until he really worked himself to death at the end of his life. Not only did he write a commentary on just about every book of the Bible and preach sermons every day, he literally helped run this city in Switzerland called Geneva uh, because they were trying to like make the kingdom of God come in this city. It's crazy, right? Why would you be so busy and so concerned and even overwork yourself for the kingdom of God if you were sure that the kingdom is going to come without, with or without you and that God is going to be faithful with or without you? Well, actually, in the foolishness of Christ, not in the wisdom of the world or what makes sense to us, that's exactly what enables us to be busy and active doing God's work in the kingdom. Because we know that God's kingdom is going to come and God is going to be faithful, and so we get busy and excited letting it come in us, witnessing that it's going to come through our words and our actions. When we become convinced that we're just little children, in God's family, that we're just servants that God has invited to come along and help, help with the work that only He can do. That's actually when we get down to the work of maturing in Christ and sharing Christ all the more. When we admit just how immature and unfit for Christ that we actually are on our own, we actually grow up into Christ by that very measure. I don't even know how to describe that. Maybe careless responsibility is a word for it. Our mature immaturity, joyful obedience, childish adulthood, 
like the farmer, it means that we live with work to do. Sometimes it wears us out. But ultimately what sustains us is not our work, but patience that God is at work. Hope that God will finish what He has started. Trust that God is at work among us. And perseverance even when we can't see it. Because after all, we're not just God's co-workers or God's servants, even though we really are that. Before we're anything else, we are God's workmanship. We're God's field. God's building. He's the one who's planting the seed and watering among us and growing us up into maturity. He's the one that's laying the foundation of the gospel among us and sustaining us and building us up.